0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. It's our great pleasure today to have with us Paul Sheffield, of uh, the owner and a fantastic consultant at Missing Horse Consultancy. And of course, we have Andreas Kraushner, and I hope I pronounced that properly, but I probably didn't. No, Andreas, correct me in a moment. (laughs) Andreas, you are head of prepress at Fogra, and it's an absolute delight to have you with us today. We're going to talk about color, color consistency, and a million other issues, particularly for the textile industry and the new development of the FOGRA 58. So without further ado, I think we make a start, really. We've got a lot of questions. We've got 10 questions to get through today, and I could have written many, many, many more. Mm -hmm. So let's, so let's make a start. So first of all, let's start with Andreas. Andreas, could you give us an intro into FOGRA and the support that it provides within the print industry?
1: Sure, sure. Fogra is a yeah, worldwide renowned uh, research institute located mm-hmm. in Munich. And our main mission is uh, to balance applied research and hands-on Guidance, and that is, is a unique thing. You either have uh, academic or research people, or you have consultants be- be- being hands-on and giving uh, the Photoshop knobs or whatever uh, inks under the, ha- uh, the the fingers here. And here at Fokra, we have both. We have people, fifty people, located in Munich, and uh, doing uh, applied research, and also working on the the hands-on. Uh, Tips and guidance and standards where uh, the mostly small and medium uh, companies uh, can implement that uh, immediately along the food chain from pre press, press, post press, and also the supply industry.
0: Okay, all right, that's great. Paul, could you give us a little insight into how um, Missing missing Horse helps the industry and and your background? Uh, Mm -hmm. In
2: 2000, I actually sold the shares in the company um, I was working with and looked at what to do and recognising that pre-press was going to go into the hands of the client, sadly, but it has, I uh, started the consultancy. Um, and it looks at prepress and now pre-media workflows from start to finish, from photographers, from design, through to how they create files, how those files are submitted to the printer, what the printer does with those files to ensure, as Fogger and Andy always say, printing the expected. Um, and alongside that, for the last, Six years I've been uh, Vespa's color color management uh, ambassador alongside you, Debbie, as their uh, textile ambassador. Fabulous.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. mm Mhm. Yeah. Proud to do so.
2: I think that's it. That's really. great,
0: Paul. I mean, it, both. Okay, <laughs> both of you, just briefly, then before we start, how would how would you think um, the understanding is of color management and workflow management out there? I mean, do you agree? that we have advanced so quickly that it's very difficult for the majority to keep up.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. I, uh, I see the gap between uh, the, the the need of software, hardware and brainware, which is also mm-hmm. a triangle for me, which has to be... Uh, and tailored to be correct. Um, So that's why uh, seeing then also the development of uh, different uh, workforce that it uh, there's for me just one important thing, make color easier. Uh, Other Mm -hmm. thing else is for me not an option because it is complicated. And if you make a deep dive even more uh, like any other industry also. But uh, in, in light of the current situation, um our main motivation is to make it uh, make it uh, as easy as possible or even easier to to get people um uh yeah acquainted with the tools and try to to hide uh, the ai the the cool stuff under the hood uh which is of course important and needed all the color servers and all the bits and pieces which are important but for me um the only way or the main way forward is to make those cool Color technologies and workflows um, presented in an easy and simple, uh, simple way. And that is a big challenge because it's not so easy. And you have to do and you have to answer different questions: D sixty five, D fifty, two degree, ten degree. Don't get me started. And then uh, it's important to to con- communicate that to 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 in a way that people don't get uh, juice pimples.
0: Absolutely, Paul. Would you agree? Knowledge transfer is a huge issue.
2: Knowledge transfer and training. Um, from the suppliers that uh, install all these clever wide format devices and the associated softwares and digital front ends that drive them. Um, Often they come with very sophisticated colour management modules and uh, Mm -hmm. people don't know they're there, they haven't opened them, they haven't had the training on them. And that's been true across all parts of the graphic arts and printing methods. It's it's true in offset, it's true in wide Mm -hmm. format and it's even true in the textile world, your world, Debbie, um, mm. it's a question of knowledge, training, and uh, getting that out there into people's heads. Um, something in, and making something which is quite complicated, um, easier to understand and easier to implement. Um, I, I just still get surprised that I actually earn um, a lot of money um, telling people how to set up Adobe CC properly for, uh, <laughs> for colour management. Yeah. um mm. if yeah. If, if, yeah. You know, students come out of college having never opened the color settings file in photoshop period
0: it's very very true you know in my world students come out of university that don't even know what repeat is and you just <laughs> think oh <laughs> you know and i think there's so much more we can do with it as an industry isn't there and i know both of you work really hard with this online with this too is that you know connecting and connecting into the academic community and sharing as much knowledge as we can and making sure that they know where the right resources are really is so 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 important for the future we're going to encourage people to come into the print industry you know, and it's, so, it's such an amazing industry, isn't it? It's so full of incredible technology and it's moving so quickly. And it's not dirty and grubby anymore. It's amazing. It's so high tech. So, yeah, I think there's a the, equally within the industry practitioners. And I also think sometimes to you that, you know, when you're working on the job and you've got to learn something new, you're under pressure, mm-hmm. aren't you? And you want to shine. And I think confidence in the workplace can be a big issue to people addressing new new and you know, cha- new challenges really with a positive mental attitude. So I think that's something we all have to work on too. Now, Andreas particularly, why is it that the textile workflow presents such a challenge?
1: Because mm. there is no single monolithic textile industry and uh, they are uh, the, the designs of signage Areas which works very low, like uh, we know from graphic arts, uh, commercial mm-hmm. packaging, printing. And then you have the, the huge uh, proportion of uh, conventional um, apparel, uh, textile, which has completely different traditions, different workflows, different expectations. And so, just uh, first of all, sorting out what kind of segment you are in, what are the the expectations, requirements in the different uh, areas, life cycles, for instance. And so, that is that was also for us in our project the, the steep uh, learning curve to understand uh, what textile um, segment you are in. And, mm-hmm. and so that's why uh, we, uh, from from color management point of view, we uh, identified two quite different uh segments. However, the, the complicated thing is that there's also uh, an overlapping area where print service providers serve both. So they have their uh, soft signage applications, their graphics applications, uh, following the, our normal traditional kind of PDF-based color management ICC workflows. But other uh, areas also with a lot of uh, the analog um, printing, they have individual Workflows, um, tools for data preparation, which are typically not known in the graphics uh, community, and so that is uh, the way of making the colorways or something typically commercial printers or prepress guys don't know, and so that's why for me, though we have the typical signage printers, they handle kind of uh, textile as paper more or less um, mm. D fifty based uh, working by the book. Yeah, then you have the analog digital textile printers in their apparel way with a D65-ish, 10-degree kind of color-specific view. But there are more and more uh, print service provider um, uh, web shops Um, serving both worlds. Mm -hmm. And that is where the complexity uh, arises. And that is where we try to provide um, offers, a framework to say, okay, if you are here or here, then you should uh, set up your presses and uh, pre-press hardware and software in that way or in that way.
0: Paul, would you agree with that? Do you think that, you know, with convergence with people moving from signage and textiles over into new applications and new opportunities, do you think people are just like trying to s- sidestepping, trying to use the, s- the current workflow, the workflow they've always used for the graphic industry and not paying enough attention into a particular textile space? Personalization
2: comes into all of this. Suddenly, they cannot use their craft techniques, which have been used for a long time with uh, rotary screen presses and printing 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 yep. colours. Um, it, it can't mm-hmm. happen anymore. The, you know, Digital presses don't work that way and they need digital front ends. So it's a completely new area for them and a huge amount of understanding and learning has to go on. Um, uh, uh, but the, the other issue is the number of markets Addressed, and the number of what we would call substrates, the number of textiles that needs to be addressed within those markets, and even within the wide format yeah. um, inkjet area, a number of different sub methods and inks and drying systems. Um, di- you know, dye sublimation. Mm-hmm. Are you pre-washing? Are you washing after you you print? All these sort of areas come in. Um, and it, but the thing is, it's a hugely growing market. And get it right, and, you, and you've, got, you know, yes. you've got a really good, vibrant business which can make serious money.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we have another iceberg waiting to join the party as well, really, which is all of the new substrates, all the new biopolymers and new materials. Recycled materials behave completely differently in a print environment. It's much harder to stabilise them because you can't be sure of their original content. There's quite a lot of contamination in those supply chains for different different recycled ARPET fabrics and things as well. I think it's really, really important, Andreas. Congratulations on all the work that you've been doing. That we really do start to make, you know, a, a sprint to sort this out. Really, yeah. No incremental steps. We need to do it really, really quickly. So, could you tell us, Andreas, about the Fog Re- Research Project? What was involved and when did it start?
1: It uh, yeah, start about. Um Two and a half year uh, ago, with the mm-hmm. color management symposium right before Corona, uh, yeah. where we are exactly one or two weeks uh, before that, for the before the lockdowns, and that was kind of the the uh, the birth hour and uh, birth hour, and so that is something where we said, okay, there is also a, a market with expectations where there's no uh, answer uh, when you would like to have D sixty five sourcing um classical D65 light source and 10 degree observer, but you are typically in the in the graphic arts environment. And mm-hmm. the ICC color management since 1993 is D50 based. And so uh, the idea was how can we provide uh, the basic educational basics and also the tools to uh, allow people to work in both worlds to say, if your expectation is uh, typically uh, graphics content, printator, then go in the established D50 chain. Uh, and so then we said, okay, what is important? What tools are important? And uh, what we said, uh, what we have seen here, uh, is this RGB workflow. That in many cases, DTG, for instance, all the uh, t-shirt printers, yeah, they uh, upload uh, a pixel-based, a raster image, and sometimes you don't care about some channel specific things where you need pure k and this kind of stuff yeah and so in those pure rgb based workflows um if you look what's happened under the hood they typically convert it back to cmyk to fogra 39 or some other standard Mm uh because they they do it normally they don't ask it and that is really a a pain with respect to um, signal to noise and uh, having tonal breaks and Losing a little bit of gamut and some other stuff, and so the idea was why not doing a complete uh, RGB uh, workflow? So you you have your uh, designs in Adobe RGB and sRGB from your big trade fairs where you uh, yeah. meet designers and get their design ideas, and then uh, I think that's you,
0: one of the that's one of the big differences, isn't it? You know, if you look at the two spaces in the graphics industry, everybody creates in um, CMYK. CMYK in the textile space of the designer using Photoshop you create using RGB mm-hmm. quite different there is this split between illustrator and Photoshop and how people work
1: yes yes and that is uh, and and in printing for many good reasons you you have to think also in the in the channels and the CMYK channels yeah. because you don't want to have text being or black text being as uh, CMYK because that will quite quickly look not so nice yeah and anyone Mm -hmm. sees that but in many many pixel based designs you don't need to revert back to cmvk you can you can remain in in rgb up to the final end where of course you then go into the 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 inks and ink channels happen to be there on your dtg or whatever digital press Mm -hmm. and that was and there was no uh no color space for that. No reference color space, and that was the birth hour for developing Fokra Fifty Eight as the first FOCRA standard in RGB. So all the Fifty Seven FOCRA standards before are CMYK based. One is V, Fokra Fifty Five, but mostly uh, the first RGB ever at Fokra history.
0: Fantastic, Paul. Can we just can we just get <laughs> Can we Can I ask Andrew
2: a question? Sorry. I'd like to ask Andy. Go for when, it, absolutely. Andy, when you looked at what is now what you're calling textile RGB, um, why did you dismiss other wide gamma RGBs such as ECR RGB and Adobe RGB?
1: Good point, uh, because they're not printable. So the, ba- the main reason when we develop Focus standards is uh, that they are achievable printable matchable by the print service provider if you happen to have srgb or adobe rgb pro or whatever uh even srgb they have sometimes so huge colors which are not printable at all if you look at typical gamuts of um direct textile printing indirect uh, mm-hmm. sublimation dtg you see dramatic changes between their native gamut behavior and those uh, display referred color spaces and we found people where uh, people ask them to match an sRGB or Adobe RGB design and they do iterate, 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 but you Mm -hmm. don't iterate 30 delta E's to to, uh, one digit delta E's. Yeah, and uh, so the main idea is to get an intermediate and overarching color space, which is achievable, which is printable and proofable, um, and uh, for the print service providers. And they should get a reference, which is realistic, which can be matched with one digit delta E and not two digit delta E in a short fashion. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's why the, 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 the color space was designed to, to, um, uh, an intermediate where you have your designs uh sRGB or Adobe RGB and perceptually map it, in fogra 58, get a very nice, still very nice appearance on your screen, but now making a reference which can be achieved and printed uh, by typically print service providers with close tolerances, which we know with our media wedges and our protocols. And that's a big difference. And also maybe one point is to... Uh, Designing the Gamut hull of uh, 58 was made to cover almost all of the TCX samples. So even for those who are not coming with designs and nice pictures, but also with a unique uh, TCX Pantone sample, for instance... Uh, then we make sure that this exactly number can be expressed in one RGB value, which is numerically identical, Delta E0, between uh, the RGB and the pipette information you see in Photoshop and the D50, uh, D65 10-degree value, which you have when you measure on that specific textile, and which you can then also measure back uh, later on your production to get that match. So that was kind of the main um, idea for 58.
0: Andreas, if I understand that correctly, then what you're doing is you have a space, a unique space, Fogra 58, where a customer brings their files into that mm-hmm. whole space then is calibrated all the way through to the production machine. So are we saying that what you see on screen is exactly what you're going to get when you, as you said, Paul, very well before print what you expect? Is that, is that the right term?
1: Printing the expected, this is our dogma, so to speak. To first know that the expectation is different, like people going in hotels, you know, going youth hostel, Mm -hmm. five star, there's a difference, Yeah, both on the expectation but also on the cost involved. And the same in our industry. Uh, You never and sometimes don't know the highest tolerances or the the most rigorous aims. And then you don't need norm light. You don't need uh, measurement devices for some productions. But if you have higher demands, and, uh, people are uh, looking for more consistency over time, over places, over locations. Uh, then you go into those kind of, uh, color management tools mm-hmm. to, uh, get your quality tracking over time and getting references, which you can match, uh, in defined tolerances where you can measure your wedge. And and but you, of course, you have to set up, you have to profile and characterize, uh, your printers, uh, the, the better and uh, yeah, the more accurate, the better of course. But also if you're working with default profiles from your customer from your manufacturer, that gives already a decent match because the expectation, the reference printing condition to be simulated. That is something which is um, print related, which is close to the final actual printing space. And not like uh, having FUCA 39, which is close to commercial printing space. Or uh, sRGB or uh, Adobe RGB or DCI or whatever is close to the um, design and display-referred space. And so this is the first one where we just looked at typical digital textile printing color gamuts and use that and make an overarching space, which is really a good fingerprint of those typical digital printing gamuts
0: in your in your research then andreas who was involved in all of this
1: ah uh, the usual suspects uh, that means um, of course i have to name uh, joe chudy he was a, kind of the key pioneer behind the idea the original idea and also um, yeah many other partners which we work together that it it is uh, to be honest, a German taxpayer paid research. And so mm-hmm. that means uh, that kind of uh, fundings request us or requires us to invite anyone. So that means we uh, invited anyone, any agency, uh, media supplier, um, RIP prov- uh, provider. Of course, we have then people being more active and less active. And that is a beauty on those kind of pro- uh, projects. Anyone can jump in and jump off as they wish and can contribute from zero to 100. Yeah. And so that is something, uh, so we, of course, we work with the usual suspects, uh, with in edit and caldera and uh, the rib manufacturers, of course, but also, uh, uh, important um textile makers, Junkos and Mullers uh, and others uh, where we got different uh, polyesters and other uh, media for test prints. Mimaki supported us with a nice uh, sublimation printer and okay. uh, Barbieri with a nice uh, measurement device. So we have different um stakeholders are in our in our research and i'm quite sure that i forgot uh, some important one but (laughs) sorry for that
0: (laughs) we can add them later don't worry Mm. have you have you tested this in industry yet has it actually been out into an industrial environment with a traditional textile printer perhaps somebody who's like dual sourcing somebody who's printing both analog and digital and has that massive problem in between
1: the the uh, one is that we provide it and invite anyone to implement it to test it so that yep. means uh, they uh, they don't feedback us uh, anytime so that might uh, be some situations where people implementing it and having it um but for instance VistaPrint is some uh, the biggest online printer worldwide and yes. they have those kind of rgb or they don't have rgb workflows because they go fixed to fcolor 39 worldwide um for many reasons uh, and they tested uh, the FOCRA 58 profile, and they were really uh, surprised and excited about uh, um, the quality. Uh, bigger gamut, nicer colors, less color shifts, uh, because of the reasons I just explained. And so they uh, test uh, it re- uh, right now for some other reasons, like the white underlay, uh, which is important for non-white substrates. Uh, they cannot do this right now for some internal technical reasons, but that's not a yeah. fundamental of, um, reason. Uh, but that was one example. And there's also a publication from Vistaprint and Fokra together, which we can cite maybe later uh, and reference uh, where we explain uh, the, the backgrounds and where uh, Vistaprint also shares their f- view on, on 58 implementation.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. It's interesting, the whole white thing's coming through and it's, it's huge in the digital world. Would you agree, Paul, the, the the kind of, it just opens up so many new gates, doesn't it, being able to layer within the textile space?
2: Yes. Um,
0: printing I mean, on white.
2: All area of white and, uh, you know, Beyond that, the whole area of uh, the same material changing its uh, white between batch and batch um, is now being experienced by the textile industry in the same way we've experienced in the graphic arts industry for the last 20, 30 years. Um, And do you you attend to it by using different profiles? Do you attend to it by doing new device profiles all the time? All these sort of areas are a huge learning curve Mm -hmm. in the same way they have been in the graphic arts industry. Um, yeah that's the problem it, isn't it because, as well
0: in an on-demand yeah. world it's a quick learning curve
2: oh, oh yes i mean i think andy alluded to it a few minutes ago mm. um, it's going to be driven by the market and market requirements um, you can use the can profiles device profiles that come within your digital front ends which cover a range of substrates i mean this has been used successfully by you know in the graphic arts industry and is being used success, successfully in the textile industry but if you want the absolutely spot on color then you've got to think about using mm. custom device profiles and have the ability to do it and in this case as Andy's been saying we're in a D65 world so your viewing conditions have got to change with the way you use your spectrophotometers have got to change mm. and uh People find that difficult to understand and difficult to implement. But with newer newer profiling systems coming out, it's now quite quick mm. to make a device profile. It's not taking you an hour anymore. You can make a device mm. profile mm. and load it into your machine in ten minutes. So that um, you can get good device. But profiles you have to, yeah, using yeah. Many And you apps.
0: have to have that we discipline, don't
2: use. you? Sorry, Debbie, I didn't hear you. Sorry,
0: you have to have that discipline. You, you yes. have to have the so discipline, discipline to put standards true. in place mm-hmm. and to make those profiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes.
2: that, that you do
1: need. To yeah. You build. need a central authority, an, a central authority dictating exactly what to use and what not to use. Uh, and and every time I see that something is not really working, uh, I'm mostly it depends or, or, or it originates in different. Um, management responsibilities and people changing this for lower cost but don't telling the press or other way around and so that missing central authority is uh, very often a uh, big reason for for, um, for for problems and that is mm. um one expectation or one uh, not expectation one observation uh, i am making
0: one of the things you know from my history in the textile industry is you... sorry sorry paul carry on yes i
2: think um... It's a question of having a defined colour workflow, which is the majority of my business. And that goes right out to the product. If you think your product is not up to scratch, you should be using process control and something like, in this case, we have a textile, book of textile media wedge. If you think it's out, measure your textile media wedge. And that will tell you if you need a new device profile, if you're out of specification. And the reason you might need it is not because your machine's drifting, it could be. It could be because you're, the, the white of the material has changed from the previous batch. Um, and I believe, Debbie, I mean, that is quite an issue in the textile area. Yeah. But it is
0: a huge problem. Mat- yeah, metrization and OBAs. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, it is. And you know what? It, it, it's particularly coming to the fore as well because of all the recycling because what what kind of happens is people the mills will load the fabrics with optical brightening agents so they look perfect they look great um but it's kind of it's you're not seeing the real color are you that's the whole point of an OBA. it's the reflected light that you're seeing and your fabric looks beautifully white and then you print it and you think well, hang on a minute. Why are all those colours swung all over the place? So it is Not it is a huge issue. And I think really <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, but standardization within the textile industry has always been very, very strong. Very, very strong. You know, you have red seal samples, you know, in the days of filing cabinets, you just have thousands of them. And every single print batch, a sample would be taken and loaded and back, 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 back so that every time you came to do a print run the colorist would hand match all of those recipes because you know in the real world pigments change too it doesn't mean you know in a in a in an analog world pigments can switch and swing too and you can mix exactly that recipe and it's still not quite right you have to have a great eye to change them back and i think there's this just this idea in the print space that it's magic it's literally the world of Harry Potter, and you press a few buttons, <laughs> install a bit of software, and magically it works. But, you know, as practitioners, we exactly, as practitioners, mm. we know there's a lot more goes into it than that. And I just think it's fabulous, Andreas, um, the work that you've been doing, because it's, you know, it highlights and starts to get a standard in place for everybody working within the textile space.
1: It's an offer. It's an offer, and people can uh, can use it. And we try. This is our um, mission to to understand the the, the pain points at different uh, areas and try to to overcome it. And for those who, who bother, and uh, they can then use those implementations. And of course, it's sometimes not so easy. I I admit, uh, but that's in many other industries also that there are low hanging fruits, but also more technical mm-hmm. difficulty um, difficulties. So that is. Yeah, the destiny, I think, uh, for all of us. But uh, the higher the expectations and the higher the demands, the greater the demands, the more you need uh, the the suitable software, hardware, and brainware. And that is kind of depending what kind of level of consistency over time, quality tracking over time is needed. I think the biggest message for me is for the most problems, we have solutions. And if you still have those problems, you have just not come across those solutions or you did not happen to get someone who explained to you uh, how you can address that one. It's not a lack of technology, software or hardware. It's mostly brainware, to be honest. That's my observation. There, are, Of course, there are some technical challenges, of course, but uh, for 80% of the problems I see, uh, there are solutions uh, available.
0: Andres, can, that's fantastic. Andreas, can you just go back and can you just, this is so, so you know, Paul, thank you so much for highlighting this as, as one of the questions we were getting to. It's so important to keep checking your machinery. Um, and yes, it might take you another 10, 15, 20 minutes, but it has to be done or you're just back in a world of waste and none of us can afford waste. Can you just go back through the Fogra Media Wedge and just explain that test form and how it works and why it's so critical in a workflow.
1: Sure, sure. I think the most important part for a Fokra wedge, which costs some money with respect to all the other wedges, which you can build in 10 or 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, are two things and two main uh, points one is that this is worldwide recognized. So it's this kind of wedge, you can be assured that any software worldwide can read it and interpret it correctly, uh, and evaluate it with different standards, uh, graco whatever proofing, validation, print, PSD. Uh, and the second thing is the support. That means if you have a licensed wedge, you can call us, maybe not day and night, but day, yeah, and we will uh, tell you. And you have the, the focus support for that one. And that's the biggest first difference between all the uh, tailored free uh, wedges you can do on your own. So, and, and with that specific one, we we know that there are CMYK based wedges uh, and, and uh, ECG expanded color 5C, 6C, 7C and 8C wedges from FOCRA. But uh, when you deal with RGB based workflows, there was no RGB based uh, wedge. And so we developed mm. uh, an RGB based uh, wedge which can be measured with all devices because we just want to have one layout and not a uh, gazillions of layouts which are which maybe are important for a specific niche or that instrument but then again you lose your your worldwide um, catchy representative ability yeah that everyone knows this is a focal wedge I can measure it if you come with 20 layouts uh, you will lose that beauty and and we designed it to get a sampling a tone value combinations which is right in the middle between... It's a compromise. Like all wedges, you can have a huge chart, you can have a small chart, but we try to reach the best compromise, a wise balance between the the smallest size and the maximum um, representativity with respect to color uh, process control, what happens in your different uh, color areas, but also color accuracy. We're not claiming that you build a profile with that. You can. But there are better designs and better charts for that. But that is the main mission for that. And so we maybe last sentence here, we used a regular RGB grid sampling because in RGB space, you don't know exactly or you don't know nothing or you don't know anything about uh, the specific printing behavior with respect to tone values and dot gains and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can sample that maybe non-regular, in in, uh, but it makes no sense in, in RGB. In CMBK, you can uh sample So the sampling and the patch selection was done again to be have a unique design be recognizable worldwide measurable with the usual suspects and uh, have that level of quality tool uh uh, in a worldwide manner
0: so you're saying that 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 wedge as well can become a backup it can be a control tool for a specific batch so you know you, you
1: Yes, batch, for batch run per, for, for quality yeah. uh, tracking yeah. over time on your machines, yeah. on a regular fashion, whatever the the frequency yeah. is, depending on your stability, once a week, once yeah. a month, once an hour, <laughs> yeah, depends yeah. on your variation in your components, and also then if you match something, if you want to match a FUGRA 58, for instance, um, then you need a test chart where you can uh, qualify and where you quantify, make a report. And so uh, when your reference printing condition is an RGB, you cannot use a CMYK wedge. You need to also have an RGB wedge, which reflects your uh, reference values, which your customer, your designer expects. And so uh, that's why we have also the wedge. So you measure... Um, 72 for instance uh, color patches and then you compare it with the rgb references and that is something and there's a free excel spreadsheet on our web page which you can use but of course we recommend to use real software which is uh, uh, much more sexy and, and user-friendly to be honest
0: okay okay paul anything to add to that
1: no that's perfect
2: i would totally agree any, any
0: question I
2: mean, yeah. the actual methodology is uh, it, it, it is in graphic arts and has been used by graphic arts for years. It's mm-hmm. getting people's knowledge and agreement to use it. Most of this often is driven by client requirements. Clients will want and need validation of their product runs.
0: Absolutely. And in a textile world, you know, the, the meterage is fast. <laughs> you get it wrong. I used I used to go sampling all over the world in an analogue space. And, you know, I was responsible for pressing the button on a machine that was going to print, I don't know, 100,000 metres. It's a huge, it's a huge responsibility. and You have to have an eye for colour. Um, but it's, you know, and that now in the world of waste is even more important. And if we can help that waste to be reduced by just getting colour management right from the very beginning and it being the first thing you think about um, it's so 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 important okay one of the things that I was reading through your documents Andreas as well was um, the visual plausibility check for textiles could you go through that a little bit and talk about also moving on to talk about matching textiles and using paper samples and proofing how that works out with your
1: Oh, Technology. then then now we are mm. entering uh, Nerdistan. We uh, <laughs> um, uh, Yeah, it's some geekology <laughs> needed uh, since uh, we mm-hmm. typically expect that the values from our uh, spectrophotometers are perfectly measured and they reflect yeah. what we see. And that is for yeah. many materials and surfaces quite okay. We might know already that for metallics that's not working, that we need different instruments. Uh, where it becomes clear. But for some textiles, we uh, realized um, what many people also realized that even if you rotate it, um, um, the appearance changes or some clothes yeah. will yeah. change their look if you uh, change the orientation of your fibers or something like this. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we would like to avoid is... Um, just make a measurement and just get the LAB out of it and say, that is perfect. And uh, for some media, uh, unfortunately, this is not the case. And we would like to provide, or we did provide a mechanic where you can say, uh, for that specific media, you can trust your device readings. And following that procedure, you can exactly find out if the reading is visually plausible if it makes sense because the problem is any device you are putting on your textile gives you a reading and it should say Mm -hmm. no here in that case i should not measure that but it never does that so that means it gives you a reading and people uh, don't questioning that one they they take it for granted and just work on with that reading but that is uh, wrong and there are some examples in our report where we, we we show that that uh, having a match and then because that is then raising mistrust in color management because hey i match that value very nice have a look 0.5 delta e perfect uh, but it looks horrible yeah and then they say ah oh, come on color management sucks it doesn't work but why because you measured wrongly at the beginning and yes. so that mechanic and that uh, guidance is, uh, is uh, intended for those people with challenging substrates to double-check, going through the procedure, measuring it, proving that value, and th- mm-hmm. where we know that everything is perfectly fine to measure as we see. And then if the proof to your uh, textile is visible close, then you can say, okay, I can work with that device.
0: That just, is the what- wrap-up. It's, it's all so interesting and so deep you know we could actually have a whole podcast for 24 hours on this couldn't we we've got the questions <laughs> in here each one could be a, an absolute could be an episode it's so 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 interesting and so deep and so informative it's fantastic and just one of the questions was the use of absolutely poor please do
2: andy would you recommend different geometries on spectrophotometers generally then for for more difficult textiles
1: Um, for instance, if I can, I, just a small um, story that means um, if you are a textile and you uh, have an I1 Pro, for instance, on top, and mm-hmm. what happens there? The light comes from 450 and the detector looks on top. Yeah, That means, but yeah. the rest of the hemisphere, just pretend to look up in that I1 Pro opening yeah, is dark. And now you look at the same textile is now in a viewing cabinet. You look here, but lights come from everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, not only from 45. So the textile fibers, they are catching up photons from all the different ways. And depending on their topology and bidirectional reflection distribution function, yeah, by the BRDF, you are catching up, your eye is catching up something different than the sensor and the device. And that, uh and so the 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 first thing is to understand the how your photons travel from the light to your fibers to your eyes and and if you understand or if you estimate that travel then you can can check uh, what kind of um, geometry is the best. And for that specific case where uh, the, you match that, but typically the the, the readings in that Ivan Pro, for instance, or Barbieri, yeah, they are in that case is because they don't get all the photons, they measure too dark. But uh, with that being said, you can uh, make a small measurement correction based on that, taking the readings from in Barbieri, for instance, and for that material to correct it with Two Delta L, for instance, in a relative fashion. And all of a sudden, you have uh, converted very plausible visible data from your mm-hmm. uh, established readings without an extra device because of – that's why actually when um, Danny Rich was alive, I asked him and said, yeah, at those times, uh, the textile people had completely blacked uh, cabinets, And then we did the (laughs) same. We then had those samples with the I1 and Barbieri measurements with a complete black uh, environment, just the light from here, measure as you see. It was a perfect match. Yeah. And so those kind of uh, parameters coming into play. Yeah. The additional photons from uh, the, the gray sideboards. Uh, they all play together, and uh, and so yeah, there is no perfect um, uh, answer to your question. Having a, an integrating sphere device, which comes typically from all the suppliers, the garment makers, and all the stuff, uh, this helps also a lot if you do everything the same. Yeah, if you have the same material, mm-hmm. same geometry, and then if if you get the same reading, then you get the same appearance. That is something you can say. But if t- something changes, those uh instruments are not helpful to provide information what you perceive that it's is especially something it? what you see when you have 3d rendering like visu and other companies yeah. tech 7 yeah when you have virtual renderings of textiles then you need and then you painfully learn what parameters you need in your to get a per- perfect rendering and that is kind of the, the key for me the key learning curve in try to render a textile virtually correct then you understand mm-hmm. what parameters you need to take into consideration. And that that's, is something why, for us in the 2D world, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all of this is just so important, isn't it? And we've not even touched on digital materials. But, you know, as we move into a virtual space where we're creating products that are we haven't actually even printed and we're selling these products, you have a consumer with a massive expectation that exactly what they see on screen is going to drop through the mailbox, you know, wherever you've shopped and bought it from, and it's going to be exactly as you envisaged it. So I think the more that we can kind of start to implement all of these different procedures all the way along the along the, the chain and share that information from digital, you know, there's a whole new layer of this that's going to arrive, isn't there, Andreas, from mm-hmm. digital materials. So if you can, for example, as a colour technician in the background software-wise, if you can have the all of the information about the GSM, the comp- composition of the fabric, the weave, the grain, and all of that, if you could have all of that embedded within the digital material that you are then going to hit with a spectrophotometer, the technologies can talk to each other and hopefully start to fine-tune color more in the future so that we don't order products online that then arrive and look nothing <laughs> like the screen. It's, 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 all, it's all the way forward, really.
2: I think that- Carry on, can, Paul. It opens up a whole can of worms, Debbie. Most consumers are not looking for yeah. look colour on screen. Um, they're using cheap screens. They would not know about calibration. And they wouldn't know about profiling. And it is one of the biggest areas. Yeah. Most returns of uh, anything um, you order online is due to due to n- not getting the colour they expected. Um, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think because people are ordering online. Um, I don't quite know how we get over it. We can probably can control the colour better, um, whether they, whether it, you know, whether it's a t shirt, or, or 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 some curtains, um, and make it more consistent as it's produced. Then you've got the issue of how it's photographed. Then you've got the issue of how that photograph is displayed on uncontrolled mm-hmm. screens um, and what people expect. Um,
0: yep,
2: it's how you control the exposure the expectations of consumer level. Um, and it is, it is a huge...
0: The e-commerce minefield.
1: huge minefield. Huge <laughs> minefield. I don't, don't, don't see how we um, do it yet. So let's get production right first. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's
0: exactly where I was coming to, you, Andreas. Mm. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's let's end the wild west of printing and start to do <laughs> things, print, you know, print it correct first time, every time, no waste. But Andreas, thank you so much. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk with you both. Um just just briefly then, before we close, I'm conscious that we've gone over what we said we've gone over on time, but we could keep talking forever. Um, what's next for Fogra 58? What would you like to see as the next the next move, Andreas? And Paul, please do add into this too. What would you love to see in the next few years? What do we all need to work really hard on?
1: You know, I would um, love to see uh, um, people implementing it, like Vistaprint mm-hmm. and other, um, I think it will be DTG. Direct to garment printers first, where well, okay. it makes most of the sense. Pixel-based layouts, um, and so that would be something where I expect uh, some implementations, um, and also proofing. RGB proofing is very in the in the, the kind of so to speak. Um, you can have perfectly PDFX-based data with an RGB yeah. output intent, being it a printer profile, of course, not with sRGB. Uh, mm-hmm. but, and that is possible, but uh, adding or giving such a PDFX data into the usual print proofing rips is not working perfectly, to be said politely. And that means uh, that the proofing area to improve uh, the proofing a- space to, to uh, honor and render that one correctly... It's quite new, to be honest. Um, And also to get more people implementing, having a look and giving it a chance to see what they can, uh, what they can get out of it. They get really the predictability and use device capabilities. That is the only version. If you just use the, the the short one, you have no predictability because you match from your unachievable. Gigantic gamut to your specific yeah. device. Is it okay? Red is not turning green. Man is not turning a woman. But uh, it's not accurate. <laughs> but uh, uh, this fifty a's is, is a really good compromise, I think, between uh, using device capabilities and uh, providing a level of predictability which we have never uh, seen before.
0: Fantastic, fantastic, Andreas! I really look forward to exploring this in, in more detail. Um, are you, will you be? Are you going to be over at Fasbury in May?
1: Yes, yes, it's uh, just 500 meters from Fokra. Uh, Fokra is located 500 meters next to the trade fair in Munich. Oh, really? uh, so fantastic. this is uh, a walking distance. Paul,
0: there's an opportunity for us to to
1: stop by for a coffee. Just you're warmly invited.
0: Absolutely, we will definitely do that, won't we, Paul? That sounds fantastic. Paul, what, where would you like? What what recommendations? Yeah. What recommendations do you have? What's your magic wand? What's your wish list for for the future with regards to color?
2: The wish list is what we are trying to do with investment, which is increase knowledge in this area. You know, with the blogs we write, with these sort of of of, uh, broadcasts. It's just encouraging the whole wide format area to understand more about the importance of color management. You came up with waste. We're trying Mm -hmm. color management increases productivity and reduces waste and with the cost of the substrates being yeah. used in the textile area, I mean, they might cost the paint yeah. board looking significant, um, so it, it, it yeah. is very important in the textile area to get it right first time to print the expected.
0: Let's keep going, let's all keep talking, communicating and collaborating and sharing knowledge so important so so important gentlemen thank you so so much for joining me today it's What's a pleasure a, it's an absolute pleasure and we will definitely definitely come and visit you when we're in germany
1: won't we, Paul? perfect thanks yes, for you. having me <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: thank you yes thank you so much thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and look forward to speaking with you both again very very soon let's keep this conversation going thank you very much